I've loved everything about our service this morning. I'm indebted every Sunday to the men who get up here and help us to focus our thoughts around the table and to remember just how amazing our God is. After our departure last week, we're going to return to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you will be turning your Bibles there, we're going to pick up working our way through this wonderful little book that the Apostle Paul wrote to that church in Thessalonica. Uh, it is my understanding that uh, Sue Ann Harlow uh, decorated the uh, stage for many years, would change it out over the seasons, and I want to say thank you to Lisa uh, Eldridge for doing that. Um, very festive, uh, kind of keeping that tradition alive. The stage looks wonderful this morning. I think she had initially planned to put some stuff right here and then thought better of it. Uh, knowing that I would uh, trip and fall and hurt myself. So thank you, Lisa, for not doing that. When you think about God's will for your life, what is God's will for our lives? kind of creates a lot of questions. We think, well, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? What sort of job am I supposed to have? Does God want me to stay in this job or does he want me to take another job? Am I supposed to, to get married or does God want me to remain single? If I am married, should we have children or should we not? You know, all of these questions come to mind. What is God's will for my life? It creates a lot of questions in our lives, doesn't it? Have you ever asked God for a sign? I mean, have you ever asked God to give you a sign so that you would know where to go or what job to take or where to move? Have you ever received a sign from God and then didn't know how to interpret it? You know, you, you ask God for a sign and then something happens and you're like, well, what does that mean? Does it mean this or does it mean that? I think I've done all of that. Wouldn't it be great if God would just write us a letter and tell us how we ought to live what is will for our lives? Wouldn't it be great if God wrote us a letter to help us out? First Thessalonians, Paul addresses the issue of how they're supposed to live their lives as they wait for Jesus to return. It's about God's will for their life. And he actually uses that phrase in our text today. 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote this letter by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it has been preserved so that we could read it on a day like today and understand what God's will is for our lives. Let's look at these first few verses together. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The word of the Lord says this. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Look at this. 
it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What kind of person would you say that you are? If you're going on a journey, if you're going on a trip, maybe you're going on a vacation, what kind of person are you? Are you a destination kind of person? Or are you a journey kind of person? I'll have to confess to you through the years I have probably been more of a destination kind of guy. You know, I, I know where it is that I'm going, and I just say, man, let's hook it up. We're going to go. We're going to get there. Uh, if I've been there before, I might try to beat my time, you know, from last time, <laughs> try to shave off, you know, a few minutes. I, I've never gone, actually gone on a map and, like, plotted out gas stations and potty stops and that. I've not done that, okay? Let's just clear that up right now. But I do have this mindset that if we're going to stop and get gas, then let's, let's go and get our, our bottle of water, our drink, a potty stop. Let's do all of that right now because I don't want to get back on the road and in five minutes someone say, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Well, why didn't you do that when we just stopped? Well, I didn't have to go then. But that was like five minutes ago. You see, I've got this mindset. I've always had this mindset. I want to get there. I want, to, I want to get where I'm going. I've never really had the luxury of just saying, I'm going to take three weeks and just travel the country and just go where I want to go and stop and see what I want to stop and see. I've never really had that kind of luxury. It's always been, you know, got to go, got to get there. And if you're going to a place, like, you know, you're going to the beach or you're going on a vacation, you want to get there as fast as you can so you can enjoy that place, Right? What kind of person are you when it comes to that? I asked this question a couple of times to some people, and I got some varied answer, uh, various answers about this. I won't share names. But typically, it seems like men, we kind of tend to be destination-oriented, right? Like a woman, you're driving down the road, it's like, oh, look, an antique store. Let's stop. And I'm thinking, that's just like old stuff that somebody else didn't want. That's why it's in an antique shop. It's just old stuff. Oh, but let's stop. You know, no, I'm like, let's get there. Let's go. Destination versus the journey. We want to get to the point in our view of the destination that doesn't erase the possibility of having joy along the journey. You see where I'm going with this? It's God's will for your, for your life to be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? What is your sanctification? Well, very simply put, sanctification is a process of becoming more like Jesus. Salvation happens in a moment. Salvation happens in an instant. When you put your faith and your trust in God, when you believe in him, when you obey him, you're never more saved than you are if you're saved, right? If you're saved, then you're saved. You're not, you're not more or less saved. It's like a, a woman who's pregnant. Like, well, she's just a little pregnant. I mean, you're like, you're pregnant or you're not, right? You're either saved or you're not. But sanctification, listen, sanctification is a journey. 
It's a process. We are in the process of being sanctified, which means being set apart, being, being holy people, someone that will bring glory to our great God. Now, it is true that we have a destination. I mean, Jesus is going to return. He's going to come. He's going to take us to the Father. Every wrong will be made right. Every hurt will be healed. Our bodies will be changed in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed. Every sin that we have struggled with will be gone. I was listening this morning. I, it reminded me of an old song um, that Brad Paisley sang with, um, with Dolly Parton. He says, when, when I get where I'm going, there will be only happy tears. I will shed the sins and struggles that I have carried all these years. We have a destination, and it's going to be beautiful. Every right will be made, every wrong will be made right. But here, now, we are on a journey, and we continue to mess up. We, we make mistakes. We get so frustrated. Have you ever gotten so frustrated when you come to God in prayer and you say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm coming to you again with the same thing? Again, I'm sorry. We get so frustrated by the mistakes that we make along this journey. And what I think can happen is if, if we view the destination of knowing Christ perfectly and that in turn erases the joy in the journey, then somehow we've misunderstood what God's will is for our lives. God's will for our lives is our sanctification. And that implies a journey. A journey of knowing that I've not yet fully arrived, that I have not yet been made perfect, that I still have a ways to go, I have not yet fully been redeemed, my soul has been redeemed, but it's very plain in Scripture. My body's not yet been redeemed. That's why there's this war, this struggle with our flesh. But I want us this morning, I want you to view the destination in such a way that it begins to bring about joy in the journey. You know, sometimes I think I remember... Some of the older folks, as I, as I was a kid, it was almost this sort of a mindset that, that this Christian journey is just something that we're supposed to kind of muddle our way through, that we're not supposed to really enjoy life, but we're just supposed to try to keep our nose to the grindstone and, and do all we can for God until one day when Jesus finally comes and he's going to take us to heaven. And then, then we can start enjoying things. But right now, we just got to muddle our way through. I want you to see that there's joy in the journey. When you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when you lay everything before God and you say, God, I want you to rule and I want you to guide my life more today than you did yesterday. When you do that, I think you'll begin to find joy in the journey. If God's will for my life is my sanctification, I believe it's meant to be filled with joy and excitement and satisfaction and pleasure and adventure. That's what this life is about. 
How can we have that view of the journey when it's filled with, with imperfection, with sin, with heartache, with sorrow, maybe disappointment? What makes the destination so wonderful is that we will know Jesus perfectly one day. And what makes the journey so enjoyable now is knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus in spite of those imperfections that we currently have. We get to spend every day getting to know him better and better, becoming more like him. That is our sanctification. Doing away with things that are a threat to our relationship with Jesus. That's exactly what Paul is dealing with here when he says, God's will for your life is your sanctification. And then he goes into this, uh, some detail about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality was a threat to their relationship with the Lord. And the same is true for us today. Paul writes this because he wants them to be sanctified in this area. The reason Paul wrote this, the, the reason that I'm sure that Paul mentioned this as he wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica was that they were having a problem with this. That's why he addressed it. You know, and I've told you this before, um, when, when we buy products, they put warning labels on them. Um, my wife ordered me this, this new shirt. This is the first day I'm wearing it. Um, she ironed it this morning for me. Got it in the mail yesterday. <clears throat> when you iron a shirt, when you, when you get that iron out of the box, it says, do not iron clothes while on body. <laughs> when she ironed my shirt this morning, she had the shirt she did it. I was not wearing it. And the reason that the manufacturer has to put that on there is because somebody has done that very thing. They've ironed their clothes while they were on their body. That's why they have to put that on there. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother with it. But when someone does it, they, oh, now we've got to put a warning on it. That's why Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians about sexual immorality. But It's because they were dealing with that. That's why he addresses this issue, and he wants them to be sanctified in this area to be pure while they wait for the Lord to return because he's going to take them to be with him forever. Sanctification, listen to this. This is, this is my working definition this morning. Minimizing everything that threatens your relationship with Jesus so that that relationship increases more and more toward the day that he returns to take you home. It's, it's, it's getting rid of everything in your life that might hinder you, that might threaten your relationship with Jesus, that would keep you from getting closer to him, to being more like him every day. That's sanctification. And when you do that, you're going to find out that there really is joy in the journey. Let's go back and let's read 
the first eight verses of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want, as I read this, I want you to think about this in the context of relationship. That's the way all of this makes sense. The only way it really makes sense is when we view this in the context of our relationship with God. Chapter 4. Finally, brothers, right off, right off the bat, he calls them brothers. What is that? It's relationship. This is a church that he founded on his way to Macedonia. He goes through Thessalonica. Three Sabbaths, he preaches the gospel. There are people that believe. Now there's a church planted there. About a year later, he writes them this letter, and he says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. I, I, want, I want it to increase. You, you are doing it. You are living for God. But he says, I'm encouraging, I'm urging you to do it even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. There's that coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, when we, when we say Jesus is Lord, when we sing, you know, songs like Jesus is Lord, alleluia, uh, we just think about, well, he's God, we're, we're magnifying him, we're exalting his name. But in the first century, when Paul is writing this, when they said Jesus is Lord, what they were saying is, Caesar is not Lord. Because, you see, the emperor was supposed to be uh, viewed as, as God. And you had to hail Caesar, and you had to bow before him and say, Caesar is Lord. When the Christians said Jesus is Lord, what they were saying, in essence, was he's the only Lord we have, and it's not Caesar. So they've come underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, underneath his authority. That's relationship. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Some of you may have a, a footnote there in, in verse 4. Each of you should learn to control his own body, or maybe yours says should learn to live with his own wife or learn to acquire a wife, his own vessel. That could be part, that in part what, it, what he's talking about. Obviously, he would want you, God would want you to live a sexually pure life if you were looking for a wife, if you were searching or trying to acquire a, a life's partner. But I really think in the context, what the NIV has said here, uh, I believe is, is more of what the, the, the text would reflect. Each of us should learn to control our own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, set apart, not living like the heathen lives in passionate lust because what? They do not know God. See, they don't have that relationship with God. But for people who have come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and who live by his authority, we're going to live lives that are sanctified. We're going to be different. We're going to be different from the world. We don't live like them. 
We control our bodies. We don't just satisfy every whim and every pleasure. Verse 6, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. What Paul is addressing here, very plain and simply, is is, uh, adultery. Those that would take advantage of his brother in Christ. Take advantage of him how? By having his wife or by her having his, um, uh, someone else's husband. That's not the way people in, in Christ should live. It does great damage to those involved. Some of you have, have lived through that. Some of you have been uh, victims of, of that, and some of you may have been perpetrators of that. You know the damage that it causes. And it says the Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. There is great punishment when, when we do not obey the Scriptures. What Paul may be saying is God's wrath is going to be stored up for those who live like that, and it will one day. But he also may be saying that there are just natural consequences. There are natural consequences to sexual immorality. You you hurt people. You hurt yourself. You break this relationship, this close fellowship that you have with God. You hurt yourself in that. And in that way, God will punish men for their sins. And I don't want anyone to go away this morning saying that, you know, that there's no hope. I, you say, Rodney, I, I've, I've lived that. I'm enduring that even now. God, there is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing that God will not forgive you of if you're willing to repent to bow before him, to come underneath his authority and say, God, I've sinned and I'm sorry. There is no sin that God will not forgive you for, even a sin such as that. Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Maybe your translation says to be sanctified. It's the same word, the same root word to be set apart, to be holy, to be sanctified. That's what God has called us to. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. There's that relationship again. God has given those who have come under the authority of Jesus, who have come to him um, in faith, have obeyed his gospel, have responded to the call, God has given them the Holy Spirit. That's relationship. It's all about a relationship. Removing anything that would keep you from knowing him better, being more like him all along this journey. What is God's will for your life? To know and to walk with the Lord every day for the rest of your life. That's God's will for your life. We get so hung up sometimes on the stuff that we don't know. 
Well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to be? How long should I stay here before I make a move, before I make a change? I just need to know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what God's will is. I just need to know. God's will for your life is your sanctification, your holiness, to come into a relationship with him and to know him better, to walk with him every step of the journey. That's what God's will is. And I really don't think that it matters all that much to God. This, this, is, this is Rodney's word, not, not the Lord. I, Rodney, say this. I think there are times in our life, in our lives, where maybe God wants us to do something particularly in that moment, or maybe he wants us to go to this place in that moment. I, I believe with all of my heart that there are times in our lives where God maybe has something really specific that he wants us to do or to be involved in. But for the most part, I don't think God cares whether you're a plumber or a doctor or a farmer or a preacher or whatever. What God wants to know is, are you going to be my man? in whatever you do. Will you be my woman in this place, in this time, and live for me? Regardless of what job you have, regardless of where you live. I really don't think that God cares all that much. He just wants to know, will you live for me here and now? What is God's will? You know, the real problem concerning God's will is not what I don't know, and, and I wish I did know because everything would be better. That's not the problem. It's not the problem with what I don't know. The problem is what I do know, but I'm not doing. If, if Rodney is being honest with Rodney, that's really where the rubber meets the road. It's not, it's not all the stuff that I don't know. Oh, if I just knew what God's will for my life was. I, I, there's a lot of things that I know, but I'm just not doing. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's written a letter for us, and he's told us, what he wants us to know about his will. And you know what he told us? He says, my will for you is to know me and to know me more and more every day for the rest of your life, to minimize things in your life that are a threat to knowing me. I think if we'll focus on the things that we do know, the things that we don't know will sort of fall in place. God's will. Someone says, well, what is God's will for my life? You can tell them this confidently. God's will for your life is your sanctification. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That's a big fancy word. Simply meaning removing everything that could become a, a, a roadblock, an impediment to getting to know Christ better 
walking with him every day, looking a little more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. That's what God's will for your life is. And once you do that, once you come under the lordship of Jesus, it's like you begin to find joy in the journey. The the journey is is not hard, it's not long, it's not burdensome, but it, it's a joy to become like Jesus because Jesus is not going to ask anything of you that's not for your benefit. Everything he says in his word is for your benefit and for his glory. And so now you begin to find joy in serving him. His burden is light. His yoke is easy when you come under that lordship. Maybe there's something in your life this morning that has not yet been sanctified. You're, you're hanging on to it. It's hard to let it go. But you really want to be God's man. You really want to be God's woman. Let it go this morning. Turn it over to him. Come underneath his lordship. Tell him you're sorry. And as far as the east is from the west, he will remove every transgression.